On this episode of the Naturist Living Show, a textile nudist podcast. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome, dear listener, to episode 109 of the Naturist Living Show. It's uh, September 2019 as I'm recording this, and I am back at it, um, July and August. I really was intending on having shows through the summer. I've got my energy back for the show, and I want to do 12 episodes a year for sure. But July and August are so busy at the park now. We have so many people. It was hard to find the time and the quiet time and the extended time to really edit, record, and put stuff together. But I've got a whole bunch of shows, recorded interviews and things coming up, including this one today. So you are going to be seeing many episodes coming up, and we're just going to have to do it more than once per month in order to make sure we get all 12 episodes in for 2019. So first, before we get to this show's uh, interview... Um, and, to- and topic, we have a comment in the voice box, Vox box, the, uh, the Nature's Living Show comment line. So let's listen to what Dan had to say. Hi, Stefan. My name is Dan. I'm from upstate New York, and I've really enjoyed listening to your show. Currently, I'm deployed with the U.S. military overseas, and your show has really been exciting for me to listen to while I exercise and go on long runs. I found your your perspective on ethical naturism intriguing, and I, I've enjoyed all the different topics that you talk about. Uh, one area I think you could focus on more is body confidence. Uh, it would be interesting to have a whole show dedicated to this. Uh, I think about this because I have a, a good friend who was definitely picked on for his body growing up as a child, and now into adulthood, he insists on wearing a shirt even when he's at the beach. And then the other example is my best friend, my wife, Michelle. She's extremely comfortable being naked around me, but uncomfortable around others, even with clothing. Uh, both have had serious childhood experiences that contributed to their insecurities, and I think it'd be great to listen to a show interviewing people who have improved their body confidence through naturism and all the benefits that this can provide. I hope to hear more about this and keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Dan, for calling in and for leaving the message. Um, I really appreciate you listening. I appreciate everybody's listening. I appreciate um, the the interest that the show gets and, and the passion that it seems to ignite in some people, which is awesome. Because that's why I promote naturism. That's why I'm so involved in naturism. Because it's it makes a difference in people's lives. To address specifically your suggestion about body image, it's a very good one. It's I mean, it's core to what naturism is all about anyway. Um, we do talk about it in various ways. Um, but your comment is a good one. I think you're going to find in this episode um, that there is a lot of body image themes that the guest talks about, and it's actually very topical. But I'm going to look for other possible uh, guests that I can interview that are more specifically on the body image uh, topic. But this episode is titled Textile Nudist Podcasts. And why? Because this is obviously a naturist podcast, um, but there are many non-naturist podcasts, which I guess by default would be textile podcasts. And often, well, not I don't know about often, but many of them have done an episode where people recall a story or uh, in their past an experience or actually go out and try something to do with naturism. Um might be going to a nude beach. It might just be a skinny dipping experience, but there's been a lot of them. A few of them have been on the show in the past. 
Um, but what's really interesting about this one and different, um, it's from a show called Here Be Monsters. And the production values are really, really good and really high. And that's what I really enjoyed when I listened to this particular podcast. And then she asked me, do you want to go on an all-expenses-paid nudist vacation with me this summer? Here Be Monsters, the podcast about breasts slapped on the water like breaching whales, the podcast about the unknown. Helen and I didn't pay luggage fees. My carry-on was so small that it could fit under the seat in front of me, but most of the time I just held it on my lap. A toothbrush, a pair of sunglasses, an extra pair of underwear. We didn't even bring sunblock. After I'd accepted Helen's offer, she explained the sunblock situation. Simon, the nude millionaire, the dot-com disciple of naturism, the financier of our vacation, was the sole sunblock supplier. So I reached out to uh, Here Be Monsters and Bethany, uh, who is the one who tells the story, um, Bethany Denton, um, agreed to be interviewed and discuss uh, her experience, her podcast, that episode with us uh, for the show. So this was recorded in April 2019, and as I was saying a little earlier, I meant for this to be out much sooner, but the summer got in the way, in a good way. Um, and also, it's going to seem a little strange, but the last episode was about Mormon uh, naturists or nudists. And as it turns out, as you'll hear in the story, uh, Bethany is also, or was raised as a Mormon. And so that's just a coincidence, and I'm not going completely uh, Mormon in the show and only interviewing Mormon guests. It just worked out that way, which is kind of strange. But it was a great, a fascinating interview to listen to, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. My name is Bethany Denton. I am a person who makes radio and podcasts, and I live in Seattle, Washington. And you have one podcast that I was listening to called Here Be Monsters. That's right. I've been making Here Be Monsters with my friend Jeff for, I think, altogether about six years. There's a period where I was just a volunteer, but have been working um, as more of an employee for going on five years. Um, and that's kind of a sweet story. Jeff and I are friends from college. We actually met at our college radio station. We worked on a public affairs team. So we have been making radio pretty much ever since we've met each other um, going on 10 years ago. Uh, off and on, we have worked together making radio for 10 years. So that is sort of how I got involved with the podcast Hear Me Monsters, which now lives on KCRW and is a show that explores fear and curiosity and the unknown of all kinds. Well, that's a, that's a pretty broad topic, isn't it? Like, where does that come from? Where did the idea for that come from? Um, well, originally, it, it was not a podcast. It was an art project that oh. Jeff uh, started right after graduating from college. Um, and he... Uh, the origin story of that is that he had, you know, was 22, just graduated from college and was embarking on this new period of autonomy and freedom and kind of figuring out what it means to be an adult. And <clears throat> as he was entering that stage of his life, realized he had a hard time sleeping and was just racked with fear about the future, fear about all kinds of things. And, um, strangely he started, um, found that he was becoming afraid of things that he was afraid of as a kid. He was just in such a period of um, uncertainty and anxiety. And as an outlet for that, he started this art project. And as he started talking about it more with other people, particularly myself and other folks that we made radio with in, in college, he was delighted to find that a lot of us were in the same position approaching or just having also graduated from college 
and really uncertain about what was going to come next. Um, he and I were part of an art school at our university. And um, so there were a lot of our uh, fellow graduates who had these amazing, incredible arts educations and weren't really sure what to do with them. So that's a little bit of the origin story. He like, um, you know, shortly after hitchhiked across America to practice track talking to strangers. Um, and it, you know, started luckily with a really broad sort of, uh, morphous concept. Um, luckily for us, I should say, because it really allows us now having done it for six years, a lot of freedom of interpretation of what, what is fear? What is the unknown? And sometimes fear in the unknown refers to paranormal things, although not very frequently on our show, much to the chagrin of people who don't listen that often. They hear uh, the title here be monsters and think it's going to be about ghosts and Bigfoot, Bigfoot and stuff, which, you know, maybe it is sometimes, but more often our, we try to focus on questions or topics that really have a, a deeper, broader meaning to more people. So like we have done episodes about balding. We have done episodes about having a disability. We have done episodes about having a sleep disorder. You know, there are all kinds of um, topics that we're able to cover. Um, because like you say, it's a really, it's a broad <laughs> theme. It is a broad theme. And you've got, you're up to episode, was it 115 or something like that? Yeah, good good research. We, I think, are at 116 this week. Yes, 116 is coming out tomorrow, in fact. Yeah. Well, I got involved in podcasting. I started this podcast about a little over 10 years ago because Ooh, okay. I always loved radio. I liked the storytelling. I like, I don't know, something about the... It's a little bit like a book in that what you're you're imagining things still, right? You're mm -hmm. you're when somebody plays the sounds of birds and water rushing by, you have you get an image in your head, like mm -hmm. when you're reading. And I always found I enjoyed uh, radio and for naturism, which is what we're going to talk about. Um, mm -hmm. I really like the idea because I knew that people listening would be interested. They weren't looking for you know a cheap thrill. Uh, which okay. is, if I did it video, then besides being more complicated because you'd have to worry about where you are all the time, um, you would have mm -hmm. people just looking because they want to get a cheap thrill, and that's not what this is right. supposed to be about. So, and I've and I've always tried to do something that's pretty well produced. I'm not a fan of the stream of consciousness podcasting. You know, hang on while I get up and go and answer the door or go to the bathroom kind of thing. Like, right. Like that's to me, uh, there's a certain respect you want to show your listeners as well because it's their time right. listening to your show. And I got to tell you, yours is beautifully produced. I guess it's because you're from the radio world, right? <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I mean, again, I think that the fact that it really was conceived of as an art project and first and then a podcast second, um, it's it's interesting. I didn't realize that you've been um, making this show for that long. So I would think of you as like maybe in the second wave of podcasting, whereas Jeff and I making Here Be Monsters would be in the third wave. This is my own terminology, by the way. Okay. <laughs> this is my own like cool. the survey of the landscape, but... Yeah, I should say, like, for me personally, being interested in radio actually is a really, seems like a really natural progression. Both of my parents, I should say, neither of my parents are particularly into music. They don't really, it's not that they don't like music, they just don't like music, if that makes sense. So in the car, we were all, we constantly listened to books on tape. We always had a book on tape going in the car. And um, so a lot of my, like, reading, quote unquote, as a kid was audiobooks. And then in high school, I discovered, um, you know, This American Life and Radio Lab, which I think is cut. Those are two points of uh, inspiration for a lot of people of my generation who are in this work and kind of realized like, oh, this is this is something you can do that's not just an audiobook. You can do this kind of storytelling in really creative ways that can be on the radio. And so for when I was in high school and then went into college, I didn't totally understand what it meant, but I just told myself, like, I want to make radio. I want to make public radio because I think that that's, like, what 
what these people are doing on this show is just making public radio. And I feel very fortunate in that I was just about the right age to (laughs) be aware of that and like be studying that and then have some of those skills and be applying some of those skills, you know, again, just as a volunteer, just for free, uh, for the, you know, joy of making art. And then comes what I think of as the third wave of podcasting, you know, spearheaded by the podcast serial. And I think that that's when a lot of like normal people realized that this was a medium and realized, you know, on a broader scale, just how accessible and intimate podcasting is on a totally different level than any other kind of um, broadcast media. You know, it can be so specific and so niche and so intimate because it's not really something that you, you know, you don't really like sit down and listen to podcasts with your buddies on a game night or something. It's, right. It mm-hmm. tends to be a solitary um, activity. So anyway, that's a huge digression. No. <laughs> about, um, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that you, for this topic, would be drawn to that, not least of all because of the, as you say, you know, <clears throat> trying to t- do this kind of storytelling on naturism um, visually, but as you say, like can be problematic for <laughs> annoying reasons. But um, I also think that there's some, I think a lot about how, how powerful hearing someone's voices as opposed to reading someone's words. Um, that's not a, a dig against, you know, print by any means, but it, I do think that there is power, power in just hearing another person's voice and you can hear their inflection and their emotion and mm-hmm. understand their intention. You know, something that my generation is going through a lot is this um, anxiety about talking on the phone, but then also feeling a lot of like uh, uncertainty about people's intentions through, uh, you know, text messaging and email and, and being like anxious about that. And that's where I'm like, but yeah, if you had called them, you would have a better sense of like what they're actually saying or what their intentions were with that message. Sure. Yeah. Was uh, it angry? Was it sarcastic? Or were they just being yeah. funny? I mean, that's a whole, that gets into a whole other, like, territory about, you know, the way that millennials interpret punctuation (laughs) differently than previous generations, but I won't even get started on that. I know. I insist on putting periods at the end of my text messages, and apparently that means something. Well, yeah, (laughs) it means I'm 53. Uh, So... This particular uh, episode you did on naturism, um, uh, how did that come about? Hmm. Well, a couple of ways. One, the boring way is that is structural. Um, Twice a season, uh, Jeff and I will take turns putting together what we call our personal episodes. Um, these tend to be more, let me back up a little bit. More often than not, an episode of Here Be Monsters is going to be comprised of edited interviews that is, that are mixed with, um, sound effects and music and different, uh, effects to create like a soundscape and be an immersive experience. But every once in a while we will do, um, what are called essay based episodes where, Jeff or I, or perhaps another contributor, will actually write out prose uh, that we then record. And again, we'll have the sort of same treatment of like sound effects and music and stuff to make it an immersive deep dive, uh, sort of experiential uh, podcast. Um, And so Jeff and I have decided that every, (laughs) essentially every episode that ends in the number one, we want to be a personal episode from from one of us, a personal piece for one of us, um, which has been a really wonderful practice for me. Um, I actually studied creative nonfiction writing and did a lot of um, memoir prose style writing in college. And so this is this practice that we do on the podcast has been a really wonderful exercise for me in sort of maintaining those skills. Um, but it's also a little bit of a challenge because at the end, every time I make one of these episodes, I feel like, well, that's it. I don't, I don't have any more stories about myself. Like everything else is just boring. <laughs> um, and of course, that's not true. Once right. you start 
you know, being com- contemplative about your different experiences, uh, you discover that you are a trove of different stories. But anyway, so this this story, so that's the boring like structural answer to that is that it was my turn to make a personal episode. Um, this, let's see. I I mean, I guess the best way to like answer that question is to sort of like just tell the story of me and like why this, how this happened because it's kind of a weird circumstance that I had a hard time explaining for a long time. Um, and I don't think it's typically how people get into naturism. I could be wrong, um, but I, I feel like the best way to answer that is to just kind of like go through the, the story itself and explain how this happened. Is that, is that what you're interested in here? Yeah, sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a Mormon household, part of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a Christian faith that is a little bit different than most Christian churches, but a really important um, aspect of that church, especially for young women in that church, is the principle of modesty. Um, there are somewhat like relatively specific dress codes that um, Mormon women follow as far as, and men to some extent, but it's it applies more to women um, because of the different options for clothing that women can wear as opposed to men. But um, so the Mormon church uh, requires or urges women to not, for instance, not wear shorts that go above the knee or expose their navel or expose their backs or expose their shoulders um, or expose their cleavage, like the, Mm the, the sort of like rule of thumb is like, you know, make sure that you have cap sleeves, you're not showing your cleavage, and that any short or skirt does not go above the knee. Um, and that's very much like framed within like Christian purity. You know, your body is a temple, keep it sacred. Like it is, it, it was a gift from God to you, and don't uh, desecrate it by. Um, you know, exposing it and really like just framing it as like any exposure of your body is inherently sexual because you are a woman. And therefore, if you are exposing different parts of your body, be it wearing a bikini or wearing short shorts or whatever, you are participating in like a sexual act in public, essentially, like is, that that was kind of how it was framed to me as a teenager, um, is that God, God, Heavenly Father wants you to dress modestly because he wants you to be spiritually pure. Mm-hmm. And troublingly, and this is like a side note, the church also really frames it as like, it is your responsibility as young women to not tempt young LDS men, young Mormon men to have impure thoughts or behave badly or whatever. It's really like, cause they the have no self-control. On... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's actually like insulting to men, frankly, but, um, yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's, 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 it's it, an unfair it's burden on women and an, an insult to men. Yes, you're right. Exactly. Um, so that is the, the framework, like the religious framework of where I came from. And like, that was certainly like, in my household, like me and my sisters, my mom was always like tugging on our, when I was young, uh, hip huggers and like low rise jeans were really popular. And so my mom was constantly like hooking her finger, her fingers on our belt loops and pulling our pants up and, um, you know, making like adjusting our shirts so that we didn't have any cleavage or anything like that. Um, so that was my religious upbringing. And then on top of that, I have, I am a fat person and I have been fat since I was probably eight or nine years old. Um, and this used to be a source of a lot of emotional distress for me. And certainly as a teenager, 
you know, I not only internalize the idea of like, keep your body covered because it's, it's immoral, it's immodest, it's impure, all of those things. But on top of that, I also really internalize the message, keep your body covered because no one wants to see that your body is undesirable. Like you have failed to keep a, a trim figure and therefore no one wants to see that. Um, and I will say like my mom in particular also has a lot of those same body issues as far as like really being ashamed of the way her body looks. And I understand now having processed it with her and like gone to therapy and done a lot of work on myself to overcome these things that she was really projecting her own insecurity about her own body onto me and my sisters. And you know, kind of had this idea of like, well, if they hear it from me, then, you know, they know that I love them unconditionally and that'll somehow be less painful than if they hear it from people who don't care about them. So that was always like, it wasn't framed to me as like, keep your body, like, it wasn't necessarily framed to me, keep your body covered so that you're not in, inciting like some sexual urge in men. It's keep your body covered because no one wants to see that. Hmm. You're right. Um, so these were kind of the messages, like implicit and explicit, that I really grew up in um, for, I mean, certainly the first 18 years of my life. Um, I also want to be really clear, like, this is not, I'm not at all saying that, like, my family was abusive to me or anything like that. My, my family and my mom in particular have always been incredibly supportive and have sort of framed their support as, like, they've been very supportive of my intellect, I should say, my creativity. And they've always said, you know, like I never dated anybody in high school and my mom always framed it as like, well, boys your age are probably intimidated by you because you're probably smarter than them, you know? And so she was always really clear, like you have so much to offer in these other ways. And that will be appreciated once the men, the men and boys that you're around are more mature. Mm -hmm. So I, I, while internalizing some of those like negative ideas about like what my body looked like and whether it was desirable and all that stuff. And by the way, like plenty of that came from pop culture and society itself. This wasn't just my family. Like that, this is, this is just the water we swim in <laughs> as right. Americans. Um, and as fat Americans, it's like your body is disgusting. No one wants to see that. Um, Spoiler alert, that's not true. <laughs> but so that was sort of the um, yeah, that was that was my like upbringing. And then I went to college and right right before I went to college, I was pretty I realized that I did not believe in the church and didn't want to be a part of the church um for a lot of reasons this wasn't because of their modesty edict there are a lot of troubling things about the mormon church which is again a, a topic for another conversation but part of that um uh severance from that church was the understanding of like well my sexuality is mine now i can do with it whatever i want I can do with my body whatever I want. I can wear whatever I want. I can look however I want. Um, and around, I, and I, that, that was really freeing. That was really um, an incredible experience for me uh, to be in a place where I, I guess I should back up a little bit. I also grew up in Montana, which I, that, I know that won't mean much to folks who don't live um, in the United States, but Montana is a very rural state in, Mo in Montana. Montana is a very rural state in the United States. It's a lot of cowboys and ranchers and uh, loggers. You know, it's very like, it's a lot of working people who, um, you know, there, there's kind of a there's kind of a monoculture in how people dress and express themselves. You're either like a rancher or farmer or logger, you know, some sort of like blue collar working person who works on the land, or you're like a hippie, dippy sort of like uh, 
you know, super outdoorsy. You wear Chacos and Columbia <laughs> jackets. You know, it's like the, the, that's very much like your options there is to dress either like a cowboy or like a super outdoorsy person. And I never really fit in either of those. So anyway, cut to being in college. Um, I just had a lot of opportunities and saw a lot of different types of people um, and sort of had this like kind of stereotypical college renaissance where I cut off all my hair and dyed it different colors. I got a nose ring and got combat boots and wore ripped tights and stuff like that, which felt very edgy um, at that time. And so anyway, all this to say, I was really going through this period of like discovering my, my, yeah, um, discovering feminism and like coming into my own politically and socially and sexually Um, and around that time, I also became very good friends with someone who, um, in the show, I call her Helen. (laughs) That's, that's not her real name, right? but, um, who was very much like a punk rock chick, um, anarchist, very cool. Uh, and after knowing her for about a year, we were coworkers And she sort of popped this question to me like, hey, would you want to go on an all expenses paid nudist vacation? So (laughs) the context for that is that there is a person who I actually would not be surprised. I don't really want to say his name over uh, the podcast because I've been told that he doesn't like that kind of attention. But I frankly would not be surprised if you Steven know who this person is, he's pretty like prolific in, as far as I understand in the American naturalism, uh, sphere. Um, but this person is who I call Simon in the piece is someone who made a lot of money in the early nineties when the internet was first a thing, I guess like the dot com bubble is -hmm. what it might be called. Um, so he made a lot of money doing that and has since like made more money through investments and is this really brilliant person who is a bit odd and is also a naturist. And this person, Simon, frequently, he, let's see, how do I say this? He would coordinate these like naturist getaways in Palm Springs, he sees his mission as like introducing naturism to, to the masses or at least to new people. Um, because it is where he has found community. It is where he has found acceptance as a sort of odd person. And he wants to share that with people. Um, and I, and I should be clear too, like he wants to, he is really adamant about sharing it with people in an explicitly non-sexual way for it to be purely a, um, you know, an opportunity for people to experience something with a supportive community of people where there are no expectations, um, other than to have this experience and hopefully want to share it with someone new the next year. So the the practically the model is he people are invited to go on the trip and he will pay for their way, their their plane tickets, their hotel rooms, their whole stay, if they bring someone along who's never done it before, who's never been hmm. in a naturism environment environment and and like even like people who have never gone skinny dipping um kind of get precedent so that was so essentially for my friend helen she had been and she wanted to go back and she knew that it would be more likely for simon to um take her on a trip if she brought a person or two who had never gone before who had never had that experience So I was like the perfect candidate, right? I was someone who had never done anything like that before. Still, even in this period of like sort of self-discovery and self-acceptance, like 
was not, you know, not totally comfortable with my body. And it was definitely like the prospect of it was, was kind of scary because it was like, I, I, because again, like nudity, what had my entire life been framed in a purely sexual context. So there was a part of me that was like, could not understand, like, what do you mean this guy isn't expecting, like, that there is no like sexual expectation? Like, how can that be possible? Um, And so she assured me over and over again, you know, you know, she was like, I hear you, I hear you. I know that that is like, this is a weird thing. But I'm telling you, I've gone. It's really wonderful. There are mostly women there. It's it's a really great environment. It's a great resort <laughs> in Palm Springs. Um, and she was like, you know, if you want to go, I I think we can like, you know, essentially we had to apply, like fill out this little like questionnaire. Um, and she was like, I think that he'd be, he'd want to take us because you are like the the exact kind of person that he likes to bring along and have them experience this, this thing, this, you know, naturism. So how was, how hard was it to decide to do this? You applied, she convinced you, and then you get accepted. Well, I should, I should be clear. She did not like it was not something where I was like pressured. She didn't, she did not like have to talk me into it. And I reluctantly applied because of peer pressure. Like it was something that she offered and she said, I totally understand if this is not something you want to do. Um, I, I hear you and I get it. And like, that's fine. You know, I won't be upset if you say no. Um, this actually isn't in the piece, but we did go with another person. So she already had another person who was, um, like on board to go with her. So she was already very likely going to go. Um, but it was an experience that she said, you you know, she explicitly said like, I want to share this with you because, you know, I had, she knew about my background. She knew about my upbringing as a Mormon and knew that I was in this sort of like new period of my life of like self-discovery and self-acceptance. And she was like, she just said, you know, this was a really great experience for me when I went last year. And, um, I think it'd be a lot of fun and maybe a really great experience for you. And so it was really only like one conversation where she offered and she, you know, qualified that she, she understood if I didn't want to go and hoped that I wouldn't think that she was a weirdo for asking her and kind of left it up to me to, to decide. And so, and this was probably in like January, I think, and the trips would have been in like June and July. So I had some time to think about it. And I was definitely nervous and it was definitely like, what if I get there and and can't do it? Or what if I get there and, you know, I immediately want to go home or it's weird or I like can't leave the hotel room because I'm too embarrassed or like, what is this even going to be like? Um... I had only had, I had had very limited sexual experiences at that point. So I had literally only seen, I think, one penis in my life before. And so (laughs) that was part of it too, that I was like, what if I can't handle seeing penises? (laughs) Like, what if, you know, there definitely was some fear there and some uncertainty. But then I kind of came to this realization where I was like, you know, I... I spent the first 18 years of my life, 17 or 18 years of my life, having a very, very, very specific idea of what my life would be. You know, I thought that like the, the church, (laughs) the Mormon church is very, um, pervasive in a lot of ways. I I should say like there, there are a lot of expectations of members of the church to do certain things and reach certain milestones and, um, to do those things, young essentially like it's not uncommon for people to get married when they're like 19 20 years old and have kids by the time they're 21 you know and and you know maybe to date for three months before getting engaged so there you know it's basically the first 17 18 years of my life I had a very specific idea of what I thought my life was going to be and I sort of realized like now I have all of this freedom that I have given myself this isn't something that I had to ask for. This isn't something that I like, you know, someone is allowed me to have this freedom. This is something I gave to myself, this freedom. And 
why, why wouldn't I take opportunities that are offered to me? Um, and not least of all, because I, I, you know, implicitly trusted my friend, Helen, you know, I knew that she wouldn't put me in a position that was unsafe. Um, and I trusted that, I mean, at the very least, you know, she would be there with me. So <laughs> if anything were to happen, I mean, she was a tough little lady who had all kinds of piercings and could like kick the shit out of anybody. So <laughs> I felt very confident that like with her being there, like if on the off chance that anything did happen, uh, that wasn't, you know, something that Helen had foreseen, she would be there. And that was a huge comfort to me. And it just kind of like, I had this moment where I was like, I have been offered something that a, I don't have to pay for, which is great. Cause I'm a broke college student, but B like, I never would have seen this for myself, you know, even just a couple of years ago. And like, the prospect of doing something like this a couple of years ago would be terrifying because again, it's like the idea of like nudity was always framed in a sec, like always framed as sexual and especially nudity among men. Like, you know, I came of age during like stranger danger. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so there was a lot, like I definitely had a sort of like fear of men drilled into me. Um, which I appreciate now because I don't think that's unfounded, but you know, the idea of like, especially like being naked around men that I didn't know would have been like cripplingly terrifying just a few years before. And I kind of got to this point where I was like, maybe it doesn't have to be scary. And even if it is scary, I have this person here who will protect me. Um, and at the very least, like, what if I don't do this? And then it'll always, you know, then the story of my life, you know, this story uh, of my life will be, oh, I'm the kind of person who, like, gets cool opportunities and then turns them down because I'm too scared. Um, So, and, like, for that matter, like, there was a part of me that, like, I think at that point I really was, like, ready to not be ashamed of my body, even if I couldn't, like conceptualize it that explicitly at the time that like I am ready to like my body um I think that was part of it was like I and and sort of like a curiosity of it too of like maybe maybe I this idea that I have of like everyone else having a perfect body and me having this like broken ugly uh deformed body um was not true. Um, Actually, as I'm saying that, I don't think that that was on my mind before I made the decision. But basically, I I was very interested in taking advantage of an opportunity that was presented to me to at least be able to say that I had done it. Um, And I also felt safe enough with this person, with Helen, my friend, that I knew that nothing, you know, nothing like horrible would happen to me that I would Mm -hmm. survive it. And at the very least come away with a good story. And how was it? It was wonderful. It was so great. So, um, (laughs) I, I wish, I mean, gosh, okay. How do I start? So it was a little (laughs) So, like, when we arrived at the resort, it is kind of a strange thing. You walk into the lobby of, like, just any, like, you know, it looks like any old hotel, although it has really high walls around it. You walk into the lobby, and behind the counter, there was this, like, young woman who totally, like, looked like normal hotel staff, and she had a polo shirt on and shorts and, like, looked very typical. And then standing at the counter is this naked man, this fully naked man. And it turned out that he was Simon. Um, and he just in, in particular, like just has a very particular look about him. He has kind of crazy curly hair. Um, that he's like kind of balding on top. So he's got this crazy curly hair, like in the male pattern baldness. Um, 
position. He's got these big, thick glasses. Um, and he had this, this like watch on this like old Casio watch. And you could like even see that there was this really severe tan line around the watch. So it was like, oh, so you, that never comes off. Um, and his whole body was very tan. Um, and Helen was totally right. It was not sexual at all. Like he was just totally casual and, um, like you can, you know, as a, as a woman, you can feel when men are leering at you, um, clothed or not. And I didn't get that at all. And so that was an immediate, like, moment of relaxation of like, oh, wow, she was right. Like, he's not, he's not being creepy. He's not expecting anything of us. He's just this odd man who has a lot of money and wants to like build this community. So after that, we like walked to, he takes us to where, like shows us where the hotel room is. Um, And again, it was like, just kind of this jarring thing of like, you know, I had only ever seen naked women in that, like in locker rooms. And again, had like only ever seen maybe one naked man at that point. So it was, it was a little bit like jarring. One thing that um, Helen had told me was make sure you bring, like you must have sunglasses if only to um, like at the beginning, like keep your sunglasses on so that people can't tell if like you're looking at their bodies, because especially at first, like it's just, you kind of can't help it. Um, although I would find even within like a day, like after a while, it's not, it's not new. It's not novel or strange. So you do just kind of get over it. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, it was this odd experience walking through this, you know, beautiful, courtyard of this resort um where everyone else around us was naked and we still had our clothes on um and i yeah i mean helen was definitely like really excited and she like she's kind of like been along like long long before even going on her um naturist retreat she actually had like you know like had never had any like body dysmorphia or like um, insecurities about her body and, um, you know, was just excited. Like her whole thing was like, Oh, I'm just so excited to just be in the sun and like get a great tan, um, and be by the pool. We, we came from, we were living in, uh, Northwestern Washington at the time, which, um, if you know anything about that area of the country, it is very overcast and rainy. Um, and so we were coming from the dank, dark, rainy Northwest to beautiful Palm Springs where it was just sunny and so hot and Mm. gorgeous. And so we were very excited to get some vitamin D. Um, and so we go to the hotel room and Helen just like immediately strips and she's so excited. And, um, you know, I sort of like followed suit and I remember being a little bit nervous and kind of having this like hesitation within my body where it's like my mind was telling me to do something but my body was kind of resistant to it because there was some like fear there and um but yeah but then we we let's see I'm trying to like remember it like from my own memory and not what I wrote for the episode but I I will say like it did take a little bit of gumption to like walk out the door um obviously being flanked by my friends, my, my friend who was also naked, like helped. So I I didn't feel, I think, I think if I had to step out alone, um, even with everyone else being naked, like that would have been really hard for me. And I would have had to really amp myself up, but you know, having someone who was totally like totally comfortable and relaxed and confident to kind of, you know, be my escort really, really helped. And almost immediately, I saw, you know, women's bodies and sort of like started to see like, oh, that woman's breasts look like mine. And she's young too. Like I had had all of these conceptions about like, like my body looks this way because I am fat and I've ruined it. Like if I was not, if I had not gotten fat, I would have this like perfect body. Um, And like looking around, it's like I saw women who, 
So like, for instance, I saw like women who were maybe thinner than me, but had breasts that looked like mine. And that was huge. It was like, oh my God, like other young people can have breasts that look like mine. Like mine aren't ruined. Maybe that's just what they look like. Right. You know, I saw, you know, women whose legs looked like mine and whose bellies looked like mine and women with like, like a ton of pubic hair and like just saw like it it meant so much to see women's bodies Mm -hmm. in that context um there were also a lot of uh african-american women and asian women um like there was just a lot of diversity there that i had not seen having grown up in a extremely predominantly white area and even going to college like there was more diversity at college but it was still you know 80 percent white at least so seeing all of these different ethnicities as well that were not that were just normal people was it was amazing it was just like so it was it meant a lot to just see people's bodies in again in a in a completely non-sexual way and sort of like see how normal they were but also how different they were because you know beyond that like any other like nudity that I had seen most often was in the context of like movies or porn or something where there's a very specific body type um and so to see all of these normal beautiful bodies that looked totally different than what I had seen um and even, you know, obviously bodies that didn't look anything like mine to still see like, oh, wow, like breasts can look lots of different ways and like legs and butts can look lots of different ways. Um, and I also like it was interesting to see men's bodies, too, to see penises, especially flaccid penises and be like, oh, those are that's not scary at all. Like that's, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's not like sexual or intimidating or anything that's like it it just the the like how relaxed everyone was was so huge and it's infectious right it's like once you like I think if everyone were sort of cowering covering up and you know afraid then I would have definitely like fed off of that energy but because everyone was relaxed and at ease I fed off of that energy and like really like within a couple hours acclimated to it um I loved, so like some of the funny things, like I loved seeing people's secret tattoos, you know, like tattoos that like probably no one, no one but the people they had sex with would ever see Mm -hmm. outside of this context, you know. Um, A lot of people have tattoos on their butts, (laughs) which was surprising to me. Um, And like different piercings that people have that you would never see at like their, your office or whatever. Um, and then, you know, there are other funny things that I like to tell people about, like, as a woman, it was really interesting to be there when like you had to go to the bathroom because you'd like walk into the bathroom and realize like, Oh, I just have to sit down. Um, (laughs) you know, you kind of like instinctively go to like mess with your like pants or underwear or whatever. And it's like, Oh, nope, I can just sit down And Um, and sit up when you're done. Yeah, exactly. Or getting out of the shower too, you know, you didn't, I would instinctively wrap my towel around myself and like, you know, dry my hair and stuff and then realize like, oh, actually, I don't have to do this. And, you know, would just leave the towel and air dry in the hot sun because it was Palm Springs. It was super hot and dry. Um, so yeah, so we were there all told, I think we were there for four or five days. Um, and it was amazing like it was just definitely with the I've it was really easy to talk to people too <laughs> surprisingly I would not have anticipated that I would have thought it would be really hard and weird and awkward to talk to people but it was you know it's funny like those barriers were down <laughs> physically and so it was easy to talk to people who you know came from all over the country there were a lot of people there that were also part of our group that this person Simon had sent there who for whom this was their first time too being in this environment. And um, that was so cool to 
be able to talk to people, particularly other women, about, you know, it being our first times and like what it felt, what the, you know, the things we were feeling and thinking and noticing. And it was really this like kind of giddy energy of like, oh my God, I can't believe we're doing this. This is so funny. Like, this is just so funny. Um, so like our days at the resort were pretty much like we'd wake up whenever, you know, maybe have breakfast or maybe just go straight to the pool, hang out at the pool, make sure we were really diligent about our sunscreen. Um, that's another funny thing that I learned is like in this environment, if you're in a place like Palm Springs, you have to be extremely diligent about your sunscreen and putting it in mm. every crack and crevice. Especially those um, parts that I've never seen the sun, of course. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and um, before getting there, I heard this apocryphal story from Helen about how she had forgotten to get her like butt crack her first year and had to deal with um, a sunburn there her first Ouch. year. So she was very, um, very... She was a good mother hen in that way that she was very diligent about, like, make sure you reapply in your butt crack. Make sure you just every single nook and cranny you can think of, um, which was good. I don't recall getting any sunburns. So, um, and I owe that to uh, Helen. Um, we did things like we did yoga one morning. Um, we did, we played uh, water volleyball, which was kind of, a, and did water aerobics, which was kind of an odd experience. I didn't realize how much, as, again, as a woman, like wearing a swimsuit sort of protects, um, protects you from getting water inside of you. Oh. <laughs> so that was a weird, like, as if you're doing like aerobics and jumping up in the water. Right. Um, which is what I discovered. It was kind of a weird experience. Um, and like, also just realizing like how much your breasts move if you don't have a swimsuit on. Like that was also a new experience, um, especially how they'll move in the water. Was that a problem? No, it was just a new experience. Hmm. Um, it, just, just all these little things that you don't expect. So the podcast came out in January 2017, which I assume that means you were there in the summer of 2016. It's now... Uh, no, that it, it was years before that. It was probably 2011 or 2010 that I was there. Ah, okay, all right. So it's been a number of years because we're it's now April of 2019 where we're recording this. I know it's it's actually wild to think about. I hadn't realized it's been so long. <laughs> so have you had any more? Have you did did you the, the the objective from Simon was to get you introduced and interested? Did he succeed? Uh, he did. So I, um, so that was my, the story on the podcast is the story of my first summer going there. I did go back the next summer and I, that time I was the seasoned vet who was able to find, I was able to bring two of my friends who had never been before. And these were two friends from high school from Montana. And, uh, that was an incredible experience to be the one to bring them back and to be the one to be the Helen of the situation, to be super cool and confident and like, Oh, you're going to have so much fun. We're going to do this, 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 and this, we're going to lay in the sun. And, and the fun thing was that Helen came back that next year too. And she brought another of her friend of her friends. So it was by that time, you know, there were five of us all together that went, um, that next summer. And that was so so fun. That was truly like one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, and it was the kind of thing where I had to be a little bit thoughtful about who, who of my friends I would ask. Um, just because I know there would be plenty of people who would not at all be interested in that and would be freaked out by me asking. So, mm -hmm. but luckily my friends who I did ask were pretty much immediately like, Oh my God, yes, that sounds amazing. Um, and I hadn't told a lot of people about that experience at that point, mostly because I felt weird about the circumstances of us getting there because it's just weird to explain that, oh, there's this like eccentric millionaire who pays for people to go to this nudist resort, but it's not sexual. Um, <laughs> and now I've just like kind of accepted that like people are going to think whatever they think, I guess. I don't know. It, 
yeah. Anyway, so um, but these were these two friends that I brought from Montana the second time. We had never like been naked together, and so it was like it ended up being something that strengthened our relationship, not just because we were naked, but just to have that experience that, you know, share that experience with each other. And they felt a lot of the same things that I felt my first year of like, just feeling amazing, seeing all of these different bodies and what bodies can look like under the trappings of, um, you know, undergarments and, and clothes and stuff. And I will also say it's kind of an equalizer in a lot of ways because I think there are all of these like social signifiers that people have in how they dress, what clothes they choose that can result in people self-selecting away from each other under normal circumstances. You know, these sort of signifiers of like what kind of person you are and that all goes away when you're naked. You can't, you can't sort of like use those signifiers to, um, entice or reject people, if that makes any sense. And so it was it, one of the most interesting things at the end of both years that I went um, was seeing people leave and seeing what clothes people came in. And there certainly were people who had like these. So like there's one guy in particular, I remember, who had this incredible elaborate back tattoo that went all the way down his back. And he left in basically like a business suit, like in slacks and a button up shirt and a tie. So it's like, huh, I have, I know a secret about you that probably most of your coworkers don't know. Um, so anyway, I think I kind of got off track there. I, so I did go back the next year. I brought some friends with me, um, as, as I was a seasoned vet by then. Uh, and then since then I have not gone to any like, like specific resorts. Um, I do like to go to like, uh, Korean spas, Korean style spas with my girlfriends, um, that are, those typically are female only or, uh, spaces and, um, are not like, you're not required to be nude, but most people are, maybe they wear like bikini bottoms or something. Um, and even as I've like aged and my body has changed a little bit, Um, I find a lot of, I don't know, I just like to be in the, like to return to that space every once in a while, because I will say like, there have been times where I have like gone back to feeling like less confident about myself or less secure in my own body, where the prospect of being naked around other people who are not my husband is like, I don't know about that, uh, makes me a little nervous. But then anytime I go again, like to the spa with my girlfriends, it's like, oh yeah, this is easy. This, this feels fine. Um, and I'm like, it sort of takes away any like fear or judgment. I have like, you know, reaccumulated <laughs> in the time that I have not been in those spaces. Well, that's all for this episode of the Naturist Living Show. Thank you, as always, for listening. My name is Stéphane Deschain. I am the host for this podcast, and I am also the owner of Baroque's Family Nature's Park. We now have a producer, Samantha Challoner, and she's the one who's been helping coordinate some of the interviews and keeping me organized, and I really appreciate all her help. I hope you'll make a difference in getting more shows out in a more timely manner. You'll find links to all the items I mentioned in the show in the show notes on the website, and our website is at naturistlivingshow.com. Keep sending your comments. I read them all, and I try to respond to as many as possible, but I always appreciate getting them and reading the comments and the encouragement and suggestions. The show's email address is contact at naturistlivingshow.com. You can also call and leave a comment, as Dan did at the beginning of the show, and uh, if... Uh, you can take as many tries as you want. Uh, you can re-record, and you can even delete it if you don't like it at the end. But uh, if you write, if you record something interesting, I'd be happy to include it in one of the future episodes. The show's uh, phone number is on our website, but it's also country code one, area code nine zero five four seven three six zero six zero, 
or toll-free in Canada and the U.S., 1-888-373-9124, or you can Skype us at Bear Oaks, just Bear Oaks, one word, and B-A-R-E, of course. And no matter which number you're calling, that puts you into the phone system for Bear Oaks, and then the show's extension is 333. I hope you enjoy the show and that you'll join us again for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park, traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca. Thank you.